Hey, what's up, Box in One World? It has been way too long. We've been off for some time doing some other things, but we are back again. Uh, make sure you check out our last episode with Ray Doswell from the Negro League Baseball Museum. Really interesting episode. Um, covered a lot of things. Uh, it's, it's definitely worth the watch. Today's episode, uh, we're going to be talking some Blue Jays. Um, great start to the season yesterday. And uh, also, I think we'll touch on some Raptors a little bit because it's it's probably been way too long since we've talked Raptors. I think probably maybe three or four episodes because we had a couple of baseball episodes and and some time in between. So we'll just talk about what's happened because since our last Raptors episode, it's just it's gone downhill. It hasn't looked great. So we'll, we'll touch on that. So before we even get into it, how have you guys been? Anything new? Anything interesting going on with you guys? Still locked in? Yeah, let's get on to sports. <laughs> <laughs> yep, locked in. Um, um, I'm assuming maybe the vaccine rollout might be up in a month, hopefully. Yeah, and, and let's see what happens after that, because even then, who knows? Um, but uh, hopefully better days ahead. Definitely a good day yesterday for the Blue Jays. So a 3-2 win over the Yankees in the Bronx in extra innings. The Pen looked looked good. Uh, Ryu, um, not bad. Would you go just over five innings? Um, I, 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 what what do you guys take from this? I mean, it's it's one game, so obviously this is a marathon, not a sprint. So we can't take too much from it. But what did you guys think? They have a very good bullpen with, and as Buck Martinez said nine times during the broadcast yesterday, they have a lot of velocity coming out of that pen that they haven't had in year in recent years. So they have the ability. I mean, I don't want to get overly excited about like Merriweather after that one inning, which where he just threw nasty filth, but they, I think their bull, the bullpen will be a strength of the team The don't want to get excited, but the defense was better than what it's been in recent years. I mean, offensively, they scored three runs, one of them in extra innings with the starting the inning with the man on second. So it's not a true three runs, but the offense was what it was. Um, so good start. Uh, usually a team, younger teams struggle in close games because they'll blow a play or they may not have as deep a pen because when you're in sort of like a rebuilding mode, teams will not really invest a lot of money in a strong pen. You you find yourself out of position, you don't defend the right way, and they played a very tight game yesterday. So one game, um, they're expected to hit. The rotation will be a question mark as we move forward into this year. I mean, if they are in the race in July, they have a deep enough system that they could always add to the rotation. But it's uh, one game. Um, hasn't really changed my outlook yet. Uh, but yeah, we'll take it for what it was. A good start. Yeah, I mean, sure, one game. But you all, it's always fun to see them win rather than lose. And Let's start with Merriweather because you mentioned him, and yeah, it's just one appearance. Uh, but man, I mean, we saw him a couple of times, a few times last year as well, and you see the stuff, and you can see why they liked him so much, right? And yes, it hasn't panned out the way they expected in that JD trade, but I mean, this guy 
if he keeps it together and if he stays healthy, could be a really, really good arm at the back end of the bullpen. Like that was some real filth yesterday. And I guess that's going to be the big thing. It's, it's, the, right. <laughs> it's, it's the staying healthy, right? Um, like it, none of this matters if he doesn't stay healthy, but he looked, he looked really good. I was, I was super impressed with what I saw and, you know, to come to do it in the Bronx in the opener uh, had me really excited. Um, I don't know what to expect because like, like you, like you touched on the, the rest of the rotation past Ryu. Like what, what are we really going to see? Cause that part has me nervous. Yeah, I mean, Ross Stripling starting next game, uh, I mean, he really ideally shouldn't have been in the rotation, but you have injuries. He, I mean, initially he was taking Nate Pearson's spot, and right now, I mean, Robbie Ray's out. It's actually interesting that of the four main signings the Jays had in the offseason, three of them are on the shelf right now, right? Um, Springer, hopefully he's back soon, and obviously so early on it's really not big of a deal. But I think it's important that you do have this good bullpen because – um, besides Rio, like we said, we, there's not a whole lot behind him. So you'll need a lot of uh, quality arms in the bullpen. You'll need a lot of depth, which has already been tested with Kirby Yates out. He was supposed to be the closer. Uh, he's already out for the season. Uh, so the depth's already starting to get uh, tested. Uh, so you'll need a lot of quality arms. So it's good to see that they have them. But I think we'll probably need a lot more uh, to get through to uh, through the season, right? Well, from the from the rotations in the rotation for sure. Um, word was this morning, uh, Ross Atkins met with the media and he did say George Springer is being targeted for the home opener and eat it next week. Mm-hmm. So hoping he can uh, join in then. Uh, sorry, join join the roster. Then Robbie Ray's getting close. Pearson's getting close. But even then, there's still question marks. It's not like you can say, "All right, they're back. We're good to go." Yeah, yeah. and I mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, with the, with the Springer thing, I just hope you know with with the what is it, an oblique injury. I just hope that's not one of those things that lingers, and those things do tend to linger because it would just be a shame for in his first season with us that you know he keeps coming in and out of the lineup. Um, but you know, I, I think I think aside from the pitching, uh, some of the stuff that I saw defensively, I don't know if you guys agree, but um, you know, Bichette made a, a nice play um, going to his right in the hole there. He, he wasn't able to, you know, make, make the throw. He made the throw, but he wasn't able to to get the out. Um, but even even on that play, like you you see what um, what Vlad was able to do, you know, tr- trying to trying to stretch and and, and make that play and, and help out. You know, help out his fielders. What, what I saw from Vlad defensively, I, I think leaves me leaves me positive. I'm optimistic. Um, you know that play by Vichette. I know it's like one game, but even um, even Simeon in, in, when going to his left in the hole, like he, he made a nice play to to get an out at first there. So I, I like what I'm seeing, and I want to ask you guys: is is Biggio undervalued by a lot of players, uh, by a lot of fans, or do you think he's overvalued by a lot of fans? I like what I see from him. I like his versatility. I think he's going to be super important in the next year. I think he'll be good in the role that they put him in, and that is a super utility role. Um, and I think if you're in a super utility role, there'll be enough at-bats available for you. Like You'll probably be up at the plate 500 times in a year if you can play multiple positions. Yesterday, he looked pretty decent at third. Um, obviously, we'll need to see a lot more games to see what the range looked like. Got a nice out at third, uh, sorry, at home. Um, 
made a few good throws uh, overall. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard, right? I mean, if you look at the numbers, he struggles mightily against, like, real high velocity. But then I honestly not, don't know what the league average is uh, for high velocity, right? So I don't know where he ranks. Um, and, and I'm sure if we run the numbers, we'll probably know. Uh and that's probably the biggest dent against him. Um, and speaking of that, I mean, what do you guys think of the lineup construction yesterday as well? Do you think Bejir was where he should have been? What do you guys think of the rest as well? No, no I, I didn't like Semyon leading off. <laughs> that's, Me neither. Other than his, other than 2019. But yeah, 19 when he was an MVP candidate. He's never been an on-base guy. So unless they they believe he could be, he is that. He's still that. Um, he's never really been that guy. So Semyon's calling card in recent years has always been his defense. So I don't love I don't love um I don't love him being up there. I think Biggio would be fine as a leadoff guy. I mean, he struggles against velocity, so uh, there's going to be that challenge with um, facing a guy like Garrett Cole. So you have to be mindful as to who the starter is. But at least Biggio, one thing you know is that he's going to take a lot of pitches. He's going to draw walks. So if you get a guy that has a good on base, even if he has a low batting average, leading off, that's better and then you could I could if this whole Vlad Jr. weight loss thing is really like turns him into helps him achieve what he his potential I could see him moving up the lineup and then Springer comes back and that could be your top three and you have Guriel as well I didn't love the top two I, I, I didn't love the lineup construction at the top now I think they combined went over 10 over 11 the top three hitters I mean one of them was Bull but I don't like Semyon leading off. That's where I'll Yeah, take. me neither. And, and I think that's where Bijou's uh, versatility comes in a little bit, right? I mean, uh, I mean, what is he good at? He, he, he's got some pop. He walks a lot. And, I mean, if you're looking at offensive value, that's where his offensive value is to the Blue Jays. So, given what they have right now and what we know for, of the players with Springer out, um, I would probably keep Bijou uh, at the top. Because um, the other benefit is, uh, I mean, you He's he wouldn't be coming up that often with a lot of men on base. I mean, base, right? So it's not as if he's a contact hitter. Uh, early on, he can take some pitches. I think there's uh, value in him. Uh, you know, batting first. Uh, I would have liked to see uh, Bichette two, Hernandez three, um, and maybe uh, Guriel Guerrero four, five, and Simeon slightly lower down the order. But again, just one game, so I don't know. But uh, I mean, if I have to take things. Um, anything from the game. I think it's the line of construction. That was something that was, I found a little curious. Did you guys see any, any, any of the post game interview with, with Charlie Montoyo to like, if he was asked about that or. I actually, the reasoning behind it? Sorry, I'm not, not aware. If he said, Charlie Montoyo at times has had some interesting, has had interesting lineup construction for sure. I mean, there, there's talk that Springer will be the leadoff guy. I think he should bat second. I don't think he should be batting behind arguably your weakest hitter in the nine hole once you turn that lineup o- over. 
I like Springer hitting second the way Josh Donaldson used to hit second, being their best hitter, best overall hitter, and getting a so near the top where he'll get a lot of at bats, but at least be hitting behind somebody who has a good on base. Will Mike Wilner actually had the idea of having Biggio lead off because of the on base. Um, I'm not. I like I said earlier. I like that when selectively against certain pitchers. I don't know if it's an ace, like a like again a Cole, um, like a Garrett Cole type, or if you're going against like a Shane Bieber, those kinds of power. So who's your option right now, Bichette? Bichette uh, could be. Um, Bichette, I, I could go with. I mean, you don't have a lot of high on base guys on this team, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a you, you're a lot of the lineup is still potential more than mm-hmm. um what they actually are. So I, I I would base it on Biggio, maybe if it's like a number three starter or worse, and if it's an ace or a number two or a guy that you, I mean, you have all the stat cast data. I mean. Looking at last year's Statcast data, Biggio struggles against curveballs and sliders. Actually, the slider wasn't horrible and hard four seamers. So maybe outline building your lineup using that data to, for your lineup construction. I know you don't want to be like one day leading off, the next day hitting seventh, but being a little bit using that data effectively. And who knows? Maybe that's what they did yesterday. Maybe Simeon has matches up well against Cole based on not plate appearances, but based on the profiles. Yeah. Profiles. Yeah. It it almost seems like it's got to be a a lead off by, by committee. Um, And just, yeah, play, play the matchup and and see who slots in better there. And like, is is that what they're going to do with the, with the closer role as well? Like, is it just going to be like, or, or is it is it Romano's until until he loses it? I think it's uh, to start the season. Looks like it'll be Romano to start, but Merriweather had something to say about that <laughs> yesterday. I mean, I'd be okay with either of those guys. Uh, I mean, none of them have the kind of pedigree that you want, right? Uh, but they have the stuff to get it done. Um, and I think that's the good part about this uh, bullpen. You have a lot of guys who can get strikeouts. Uh, so even beyond Romano and May- Merriweather, I think you'll have guys who would who can, in a pinch, step up and uh, be in that role. Especially those high lever- leverage situations, right? If you're coming in to protect a one-run game or coming with uh, men in scoring position. Yeah. Well, that's the new role that sort of be the fireman role is what they call it in the bullpen, where it, it started with, like, you know, Josh Hader in Milwaukee, although he's settled into the closer role. But in 2018, Hader out of the pen threw 81 innings and he had 12 saves. So he was being used in a lot and he finished 14 of those games only. So mm-hmm. that sort of become, and we saw this in the 80s a lot. There were a lot of re- like relievers in the 80s. There used to be multi-inning relievers who could have a hundred innings pitch. I don't know if we'll get to a hundred, um, but I could see one of Romano or Merriweather enter oh, becoming that guy. Yeah, and the thing with Merriweather is he's going to be used in a lot more different situations. I think uh, there are 
times that if there's a bullpen day or if there's a fifth starter, he might be the opener as well for you. So I, I think that's why they want to stretch him out. So at least he can give you some of that. I don't know if he'll be a starter long term, but he can probably give you two. Or, and here's another question because of Merriweather's injury history. Is he better off just having that consistent one inning, kill it, knowing that rather than having him maybe have to go multiple innings here, shut him down, like maybe having just that consistent workload an inning at a time mm-hmm. in a more predictable manner may keep him healthier. I don't know. I'm no trainer. I'm no pitching coach or doctor, but uh, that's another thing to keep in mind with somebody like a guy who's 29 or 30 years old and in his rookie year because injuries have held him out all the year. That's a fair point. Since you mentioned the the whole, uh, you know, opener thing, and I I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show. And I don't think even like just between the three of us, I don't think we've ever talked like your thoughts on, on baseball philosophy and where, where kind of baseball has gone. Uh, Like, what do you guys, what do you guys think about that, that whole opener? Is that something that's sustainable throughout a season? Does that work in the playoffs? Um, Like I, I know Tampa's had, had some success doing it, but like, is that, is that something that you really like seeing or do you prefer the more traditional approach where, you know, you let your starter go, you know, you, you let them turn over the lineup more than, more than, you know, one and a half, two times, um, you, know, you let them get deep into the game. Or, or do you guys like this approach to baseball? I'm conflicted. I mean, on one end, it's a pretty cool idea, right? I mean, if you, if you have a starter who's not going to go deep in the game and, why don't you send someone out, protect him three times through the lineup, and um, use the opener? But I kind of like a balance. I don't want and I don't want to see an opener every day, right? It, it and I see the value, so that's why I don't want to negate it. But it's also a lot of fun watching someone like Garrett Cole pitch deep into a game, or someone any one and two, right? Because uh, there's something to be said about the, how the game is played and how the game should be enjoyed. But every now and then, if you have a situation, if it's a bullpen day or if you have not so good fours and fives, um, you know, maybe when Blue Jays have to call upon TJ Zoyak, for example, a whole lot, it would make sense to use the opener every now and then. I like it when you have, I think it's very creative when your back of your rotation is not good. Ron, you'll appreciate this. I mean, Imagine how much better Josh Towers could have been had we had used an opener for him. <laughs> so uh, where I think the problem has become is that frontline guys are not – now, I think some of it, again, could just be preservation of the arms over a long period of time, especially given the kind of money that ace pitchers are getting paid. But I think that what's happened is that on the backside, I, I mean, we grew up watching Roy Halladay where the expectation was you got to go. Your goal is to finish the game. If you come out early, so be it. If circumstances pull you out early for whatever reason, so be it. But your mindset is going in to finish. Now I think that the mindset has gone in to just get through the lineup two and a half times. And we aren't seeing a lot of frontline guys go 200 innings anymore. In 2019, the last full season, only 15 pitchers threw 200 innings. That is really, really low because if you have 30 teams and only 15 guys 
through 200 innings. And two of them were on Texas. And Cleveland had Bieber and Bauer, although they traded Bauer midseason. Granke was traded midseason. Houston had two, Cole and Verlander, and two and a half, Granke being the third. So five of them were on one team (laughs) or spent time on one team, which means that the vast majority of teams about did not have a starter go 200 innings. And that's crazy to me. It's not just a matter of teams figuring out using analytics effectively and minimizing looks or three, two, like three times through the lineup you got. It's our pitchers being developed to go through the lineup three times plus. So I think there's a whole co- combination of factors. So one thing I'm always wary of, and when they say there's one reason for anything, right? Like nothing in life, it's always a combination of a lot of things. So third time through the lineup was something that gets talked about a lot. And for good reason, we see the numbers deteriorate a little bit. I think a lot of it, like you said, okay, players are on really large contracts. They want to preserve the arms. But it also has to do probably with the fact that pitchers are throwing a lot harder than they used to. So if you go back and look at the years when Roy Halladay, who those 200-odd innings or close to 250 innings, the average fastball, a four-seamer probably would have been like four miles slower than what it is today. Mm-hmm. And I think that has an impact. Like there's some really, really high stress. Now, and we know it's having an impact on offense. So that that's the other part of the conversation. But that's why you can see probably pitches don't have – it's a lot more risk to have them go through uh, 200 innings in a season. Right? And I think if that also – 99, like 70, like over 60, 70 pitches a game. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes back to even my previous point is that, well, they're they're not developing enough of those secondary stuff or learning how to throw with less velocity. But having that secondary stuff, I mean, a guy like Ryu doesn't throw hard. He's been a very effective pitcher. I still think it's possible to have a Strowman doesn't, he has some good velocity, but he doesn't strike out guys. And I like, I still believe that with guys throwing harder and with the analytics being what they are lever just wanting to get velo and getting strikeouts. Like we talked, we gushed about Merriweather yesterday, but that's almost like, and I guess with a bullpen, it's different than with the starter, but that's sort of emblematic of the problem is it is velo. It is 95 plus has become more the norm and, but more guys blow themselves out. I think another factor is, Pitchers may getting called up younger because they're cheaper and teams saying, well, what we'll do is just even if they haven't fully developed their secondary stuff in the minors, we will bring them up because there's more value in paying a guy a league minimum and just having him go six than holding him down a couple of years, potentially missing out on his prime velocity years and then just uh, and then. And winning now. So I think the fascination with Velo has always been there. I, I don't think there was ever a time in baseball where people were, did not have fascination with velocity. Uh, the difference is that now circumstances are different. Like players become specialists a lot early on, even much earlier than the you know major league careers. They have access to good nutrition. They have good like access to coaching. Like you know you have things like driveline now, and like there's a whole lot going on which allows players to throw hard a lot easier. But I think this fascination with Velo is always there. And and it's interesting. It reminds me of, I don't know which book he wrote it in, but Dirk Ahers 
he wants i mean he's was generally what a high 80s guy in his career mm-hmm. and he knew i think he was in high school at one time and he knew there was a scout coming to watch him and um he even had a splintered finger or something cuz i think he used i think he used to throw a curve or a change i don't remember honestly but i think it was a curveball but he decided to throw that curveball a little bit differently just because he his because of the finger Mm-hmm. and uh, the scout thought it was a slider and um he, when he saw the finger later on he says oh don't worry but what the other interesting piece he said was because the scout was there he reached out and threw real hard a couple of times even though they were nowhere close to the plate a couple, one of them actually went on top like over the backstop and and you know just went by but it hit like 94 95 on the radar gun and his scouting report said um ability to throw hard with a budding slider right so i mean this was probably about 15 16 years ago mm-hmm. fascination was always there it's just now it's a lot easier well, i think yeah and i think that with that combined with statcast data and i think with analytics really bringing highlighting the value of being able to miss bats that and it's pro- it's led to sort of this it's well we'll bring a guy we don't need as much secondary shelf anymore just go hard we'll take you out after 5 or 6 get the case keep guys from even putting making contact before it used to be it's almost gone from getting guys out to getting guys not to make contact i mean yeah. it's a, so there's a lot of factors i think you brought up a really good point is that guys are just throwing harder in general because of improved nutrition and training techniques and just becoming like as we go through generations of athletes everybody becomes bigger stronger faster so but are they smarter necessarily i don't know yeah, yeah i mean i mean i was just looking sorry just one point i mean you you see all the hockey players now and you go back and watch games from early 90s it's like those guys can't skate man like compared yeah. to the best with it it's like it's the same thing Yeah, and Azam that that um that was from Bullpen Gospels. Uh, I like I remember reading that and loving that book. So for for our viewers and listeners, if you haven't read that book by Dirk Hayhurst, um great book, really recommend it. Um easy read too. But um like I coming in from as as a mostly, you know, basketball, soccer, other sports than baseball kind of guy. And like yeah, I was I was a baseball fan before, so coming back into the sport um over the past couple of years and and seeing the difference to me it was it was it was really staggering and it was it's almost like you know somebody who's who watched basketball um you know in the 90s and didn't watch for a good part of the 2000s then coming back into the NBA now and seeing seeing how the game has changed and how it's such a you know three point dominated game i guess i guess i would kind of equate this change to that where it's you know the, there's stats to back up playing playing a different way and you know there there isn't necessarily one way to to do things i i just you know i i like the fact that it's not everybody that's doing it um i i like innovation so i know that there are people that absolutely hate the idea of of an opener and and the way you know the way the rays have kind of kind of done it um but innovation is always good in a sport anything that changes the way like there there can never just be one way to play any sport you yeah. know like you've seen innovation in soccer you've seen innovation in basketball innovation in in, in football in, in everything so I, like i i love innovation i just i don't want it to be one of those things where everybody's doing it because everybody thinks and i don't think that's i don't think that's the case because you know you're still going to have those teams who 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 have the starters who can go deep the the one thing that 
I kind of miss. And maybe it's just because I haven't been watching as much baseball, but it was always that, you know, when Roy Halladay would get, would get himself into a jam and he's got, you know, men on second and third and he's got no outs and, and he's allowed to work his way out of it. I mean, obviously different case because it's Roy Halladay and you have a lot more, a lot more faith in the guy to, to work his way out. But, you know, there, there, there's something about baseball when there's that, there, there's that romanticism about like, you know, working yourself out of a jam and getting out of those types of situations, which I, I just, I feel that we don't, we don't get to see that as much anymore. Yeah. Like, wasn't it really cool yesterday when Romano got out of it? Loved yep. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, even David Phelps, right? Judge came on, he got a double right. play. Mm-hmm. The game was thrilling to watch because of that. Right. And it goes back to, okay, and while innovation is important, I think it's also important that the rules and how the game looks has to change along with that as well, right? Um, If you keep, you know, because people find better ways to do things. There's no question about that in every sport that has happened. But one thing baseball lags, uh, you know, or behind a lot of other sports is they don't adapt. The rules don't change as much. And that sometimes makes it a boring game. So while I'm in favor of all of that, I'm also in favor of either lowering the mound or even taking back the mound a few feet, like, you know, just to balance the battle between bat and ball, right? Because, I mean, in all honesty, you you go to a game for three hours. I mean, you're not going these days, but... It's a three-hour-long game, but the whole thing only lasts. The action is only not more than 15, 20 minutes, right? Um, and-, and I think baseball, in now they're starting to do it this year, but because of just such a vast minor league system, even with the um, cuts to franchises, they have the ability to experiment more than any other league does with rule yep. changes. And they're doing that this year where by having – they're making the base sizes a little bit longer, um, a little bit bigger, rather, from 15 inches to a square inches to 18. Defensive positioning rules at double A. Um, the low A in the Southwest League is trying the electronic strike zone. So, baseball, in theory, in some ways, they were very innovative because they're sort of the ones that be, were the brought in non-baseball people to run their teams, um, like analytics and the eye. But now which has gone too far, and now they all think the same. So I think that we need to sort of find that. We've gone from one extreme to the other. Now we need to find that balance. And I found Theo Epstein, what I mean, what he with his new role with the league is to address some of these things. And he even said that, you know, a lot of this is me because it's people of my generation that came in and took over the game and, became more analytically driven and looked for these sort of quote unquote um, advantages uh, to exploit but, and it but, was gone too far. Sorry, finish your thought. I just wanted to. No, that's it. That's it. That's it. No, no, that's, that's a fair point. And innovation from that standpoint, baseball has been light years ahead of other sports. There's no question about that. And, but, but here's the thing. If it hadn't happened 25, 30 years ago, it would have started happening today because this kind of stuff happens, Right. This analytics was on the base of Sandy Alderson era in Oakland when we read in Moneyball that, you know, they valued walks. And they told manager, either the players walk or you you, you walk, right, in minor leagues. And players started walking. Before that, uh, uh, who's the Dodgers GM? Uh, Friedman. 
Sorry? No, 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 Free. no. The same is Brooklyn Dodgers GM. Oh, uh, oh, uh, Brantrick. Brantrick. He was the first guy who hired uh, this Canadian guy, sort of technically, you can say the first sabermetrician, uh, to keep a log of all the splits. Right? He was the one who came up with the idea of uh, a farm league and like all these farm teams. So you'll always have that. So if that hadn't happened 25, 30 years ago, it would have started happening today because some other sport would have taken the lead. My point has always been not just the innovation from like exploiting the rules, but how do the rules, the powers that be that set the rules, they react to make sure that there is a fair balance between bat and ball, right? Um, like, for example, shifts need to be looked at. Like, just to give you an example, in cricket, you can't put all nine people on one side. There, there is a rule because you're trying to protect because people are people pay to come and watch the action. Like, at the end of the day, sport has to survive, right? We know a lot of young generation probably doesn't watch our sports as much as the previous generations. There, there are a lot of other opportunities for people. So you've got to keep the game exciting, right? So... I'm all for all these innovations from an analytics standpoint. How do the rules react to it is also very important. And no matter what you say about football, one good thing about football is they do tinker with rules a lot. Yeah, yeah. Basketball did too. I mean, getting rid of hands. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask you since you brought up cricket, has has there been an analytics shift in in cricket? Uh, Yes, big time. Again, I, I don't think anyone's as close uh, to baseball. Uh, the analytic shift in cricket has happened more behind the scenes. You won't see a lot of fan websites, or if there are, they're more rudimentary and they're more um, they're not very popular. So, from a fan perspective, it hasn't happened as much. But uh, on the back end, yes, they've they've tinkered a lot. They've put like chips and bats to see the angles and all that stuff. Uh, obviously, biomedical. There's a whole stuff happening there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think, not not to completely like take this off off track and talk about cricket too much, but it's interesting. So why, why do you think there hasn't been the the wide reception from, from fans in cricket analytics as there has been? Is it just because it hasn't been around? Like it hasn't, it's not something that's, been around long enough or is it just the, the type of fan that just isn't interested in that part of the game? No, I think fans would be interested. The, there's a lot of good work happening, uh, especially if you look at analysts in India. They've done a, some really interesting work. But most of the work that has happened has happened on a very advanced scale, which kind of just goes bu- blows past the fan yeah. base, right? So they haven't been able to develop a lot of metrics that the fans can go. So for example, 20 years ago, if, uh, we would talk about OPS, now we can talk about weighted runs created plus, for example, or war, those kind of stats are not available to fans, right? Um, And some of the ones, new ones that are available to fans are still prone to, uh, you know, interpretation, like there's a new metric called control metric. Uh, What they want to see is if you've played 80 deliveries, how many many times were you in control, right? Uh, Now, behind the scenes, teams have a lot of access, right? So, for example, if a bowler has a good spell of seven overs um, and he's taken two wickets, they can see, okay, based on the number of times he beat the bat, he should have taken four wickets maybe, but he did two. So they kind of have an idea, okay, it's working well. Um, England, their national team is very, very heavy on analytics. Um, And, uh, for example, they'll see 
they just don't look at averages like in baseball, like we don't, right? For shorter formats, what they do is what's the acceleration level, right? How many deliveries of balls a pitch, like a batter takes to accelerate? Because more often than not, just like in baseball, you fail as well. So if you're taking that many deliveries to accelerate, what if you get out after taking that many deliveries, right? So the people who accelerate fast. So there's a whole lot of other stuff happening, but it's it's become, it's actually jumped from point A to D instantly and B yeah. and C, which should have been there for fans, probably hasn't developed as much. Yeah, I always find it interesting to see how how different sports get in, like start to use analytics. Like, you know, we, we see it with, we've talked about this before with the soccer broadcast in, in, uh, in Germany where, you know, they start to work in, you know, some of the positioning of, of players. So it's, it's always just interesting. And, you know, cricket, you know, there's some similarity to baseball. So I was always just wondering, like, is, is that something that's happened in school? Cool to hear. If anybody somehow stumbles across this video or our podcast and is, a is, a you know, big on cricket analytics, please reach out to us. I, we, yes. We'd love to have you on and just pick your brain because that's that's cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and it's not to say that there's nothing for the fans. There's a lot of new interesting stuff that's come out, especially if you're watching broadcasts, you'll see win probability and, you know, a whole lot of other stuff. The one yeah. thing cricket has always been more advanced than baseball is uh, the track the trackman technology or the Hawkeye technology that tennis also uses. Cricket was the first sport to use that uh, to determine a mode of dismissal called LBW. And because um, that's a little bit more predictive and empires have always had to make that judgment call and they've used it. Uh, they started using television technologies, I think as way, way back in 1992, they've been using for runouts, which is like ground outs in baseball, right? Uh, so on that end, they've been slightly ahead of the curve. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the fan sites are there, but not as many as you'd see in baseball. We, we need something going back to baseball um we're talking about innovation i find that in recent years teams are now the analytics are just being used to make every team the same if it seems like okay um strikeouts exit velocity launch angle we don't care about strikeouts or any of that anymore like, like we don't care the where the I look back to when the I was looking. I read a book on the Pirates when they broke their playoff drought, or even Big Data Baseball. Yeah, um, uh, Big Data Baseball, and then the Royals, how they won in 2015, I and had almost won in 14. There was a like teams use analytics more specific to like their ballparks, for example. Pittsburgh realized that in their ballpark, it was harder to play left field and center field. So they put their best defensive outfielder in left, which goes against convention. The Royals, who was that? Uh, Will Myers. Remember when they traded Will Myers and they got roasted? Like, how could you trade him? Well, the Royals realized we have the biggest outfield in Bay, the biggest outfield space in baseball, more than any other team. Our ballpark has the biggest outfield. He cannot defend, and we have Hosmer at first. We don't have anywhere to put him, so we're going to trade him now and get and then build a team that has elite outfield defense. And we're going to build a, have a pitching staff that puts balls in play where we can leverage that outfield defense, like pop ups and things. And that was very smart team building. 
Whereas the Royals built their team in a way to suit their ballpark or suit their needs. Now I, we don't see that. It's always the same. It's Velo um, three times through the order. I mean, like a Garrett, I, I don't know what the history in the, like if there's obviously coming out of last year with the workloads, teams may be hesitant to have their starters go deep, but there was a time when, Garrett Cole would not have ever left that game. Yeah. Three times, like we did, they didn't want him to face certain guys again. Like, no matter what. And I feel that now it's all, it, the analytics has gone into cookie-cutter team building. Whereas even five, six years ago, we saw it was much more of uh, the strategies were unique to the team you used analytics to get the best out of your team and the best out of your players. Now you're using analytics just to get players to do one thing, swing one way, hit this many home runs, get this many strikeouts. So it's probably got, it's gone too far. And that's got to be frustrating as a player. Cause it, it almost takes away from, from those moments. Who was it from the Jays last year? They got pulled after the, the his second, second time through the order. And uh, went off on on Roar. Montoyo, yeah, yeah, Roar. yeah. Oh, like that was a good decision with him, though. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely. But well, just Blake in general, Snell. Blake Snell in the World Series, yeah, right? That, that was a bit of a head scratcher, in all honesty, and not because hindsight is twenty twenty. A lot of people were already questioning because he was throwing pretty well. But I mean, we knew one way or the other. Royals, sorry, Tampa was going to stick to its script, right? Um. But then, do you do you need to stick to the script all the time? Like, don't you want to see what's going on in the middle of the there's game? Common sense, too, right? Exactly. Yeah, there's there, it's it's almost like it's gone too much in one direction. There's got to be a little bit of both, and I think that's that's got to be the hardest part about being a manager is that sometimes you just got to play it by feel. I know the the computer is telling you one thing, but sometimes like <laughs> the the eye test, you know, the, you you look at a guy and he's just. Snell was Snell was working, so just you just got to let it go, um, and, and that's that's got to be the frustrating thing as a player. It's it's you can't create that moment where you know this guy this guy was in a rough situation and he worked himself out of it, and it's 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 that that one thing that you remember about that World Series for the next like twenty years. You know what I mean? You you don't really you almost don't get that anymore. Yeah, and, and you know what I mean. I went on that the other podcast. Uh, once and and they're like okay if you're interested in stats explain the Blake Snell decision and and I mean you can see the logic behind it but I'm like even myself I was a little well I would like to see Snell go a little bit deeper right I think uh, somebody like Law who was at the forefront of analytics wrote a book on what's on analytics and said that was not a good decision so. Yeah. Because it's not just about anal- and I know there's a predictive element to it as well, but you have to also look at the other team. Like you talk about going from oh third time through the order, they're going to make adjustments, but have they were they able to make any kind of adjustment first to second time? That's the question. Yeah, did they manage? Oh, how how is that? How does that team adapt? Look, watch. I just felt like they had their plan and they were going to stick to it and. In some ways, you can respect it because they know what they want to do. and But at the same time, you have to sort of have that that in-the-moment intuitive thinking is gone. 
And it's not to yeah. say a manager say, I don't, you don't want to get to a back to where the manager's like, well, I just went with my gut. It's not that it's yeah. watching what's unfolding and saying, you know what? I'm not going to go the way we thought. I, I think we should go this way because like maybe a guy just isn't hitters on the other on the other team for whatever reason, like it's a low pitch count. The, the hitters are not able to make the adjustments whatsoever. It's going well. The pitcher's healthy. Let's just continue on. Yeah, and, and it's so it's it's one of those things, right? Like in and we've come across a situation at work as well. Data is a tool to help you make better decisions. Right. If if metrics start telling us what to do on a day in day out basis, it, it there's a bit of a conflict there, right? Because the whole purpose of analytics, the strength of analytics, is that it's more information. It's better information for you, but you need to be able to contextualize it. Um, I mean, yep. you can like even uh, like even at work, we get so many different kinds of metrics. We need to understand what metrics means what at a certain point, right? Uh, and at what point you feel that okay, we've gotten so granular about this piece that the sample size has become so small that it really doesn't tell us anything. Uh, so, so sometimes it's important to really drill down, and it's sometimes you need to pull back and have a bird's eye view, right? Um, and use other pieces of information. Yes, there's some biases, obviously. Um, but it's not as if, again, I'm not picking on him, but it's not as if Tanner Roar or TJ Zoig were pitching in the World Series, right? Yeah. Sure. I, I would have had an issue if they would have gone second time through the lineup, maybe. But Blake Snell pitching really well. There were no signs that he was doing anything. Else. And, and yes, batters may make adjustments. But a pitcher of that caliber, you would expect him to make adjustments as well, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and like like you said, like analytics should should be a tool because, you know, h- how many innings can you actually remember and how many like situations can you remember as a person? Like it, it's it's not humanly possible. So you use it as a tool. But at the end of the day, if if that's what you're basing your entire decision off of, then what's the point of having a manager at that point? Because you can just have like a computer sitting in the, in the dugout. Another reason why even though baseball revenues have gone up, manager pay has gone down because you're taking the responsibility out of them. They just deploy a game plan that they get. And while they should be open to using data, you shouldn't just be having a manager in there to fill a role because there's a requirement to have a manager. Why not get, and then just get robot managers as well as robot umps. I love this. I, I remember there being a video game for Super Nintendo, I think it was all robots playing. That's where we're headed, man. Just robot baseball I mean, league. I think baseball is finally identified. Batters are starting to look like robots because like it's only the three-dimensional. They're not three-dimensional players. There's like three true outcomes, right? Yeah. They hit for a home run or they strike out or they walk. I mean, there's not a whole lot going on in between. Like, Pramin and I still... I mean, there's a lot of nostalgia, but we still remember the 2011 opening day, right? The home opener we went to. And the double steal in the first innings and Bautista showing that bunt and that swap. Like, it was a lot of fun watching. Mm-hmm. So, those kind of instances, right? When you have men on base and... Like, I mean, if you were truly looking at that, you wouldn't have probably one of the greatest innings in Blue Jays history. And yeah. that was uh, the bottom of the seventh in... Uh, the game five of the ALDS, right? Yeah. It was so much fun because 
just put the bat on ball and let Rangers make all those errors. I mean, that was one of the greatest moments of my life. Contact, contact, make con- So analytics tells you the what, the what, but it doesn't tell you the why. It's yeah. oh, pitchers rather than pitchers shouldn't. Maybe like a frontline guy could go more than three times, but typically three times max. But if it's a really bad pitcher, two times max. But rather than it's now become, oh, well, why don't what about the pitchers who are able to sustain high performance as they get through third time? What are they doing the third time, potentially even fourth time through? What stuff do they have? How can we develop that? Instead, it's yeah, you're right. Let's just not ever go down that path. Everybody two, three times max or two and a half times max and leave it at that rather than thinking, yeah, you're right. There's something going, there's an opportunity for development. Instead, it's, oh, it's an opportunity just to fall in line with everybody else. Yeah. So I like this is, <laughs> I asked a question and this, it ended up being a actually really good discussion that I don't think we've actually had a, had a chance to have this type of discussion on the show yet. So it was actually really good, but I, I want to finish it off with, with just one, one thought and one image in your head. Uh, about yesterday's Blue Jay game, was there anything that that looked more uncomfortable than than Danny Jansen trying to bunt yesterday? It was even more uncomfortable than listening to Dan Shulman and Buck Martinez on the radio. Oh. Honestly, it wasn't as bad. I, I listened to the last three innings on radio; okay. it wasn't that bad. But sorry, so, so, on that, actually, on that, um, good, good, that's that's a good thing that you bring up, like. I can't believe that they actually axed the radio broadcast, the specific radio broadcast. Cause it's, I, I had good memories from when I was a kid, when I wasn't able to watch a game and I can turn on the radio and, you know, listening to, to, to Tom, Tom cheek on, on, on the radio. And it, like, it's just, it's completely different. So to, to simulcast the game, I hate that decision by Rogers. And, and in all honesty, for me, radio was very important during pandemic. Cause I don't want to choose between my marriage and uh, baseball. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, I could still go out for a drive and uh, listen to yeah. a game. Yeah. But I'll be honest, yesterday, I listened to the last three innings. And maybe it was just once. Or maybe because you're still used to hearing Dan Shulman. And he said he's going to try and have a bit of a balance. It didn't sound that bad, to be very honest. Buck Martinez, when he was doing color, it didn't really jive very well with radio. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that gets better with time. I it don't doesn't drive very um, well with TV at times, but we'll <laughs> leave that's that a different story altogether. But so I don't know how it's going to sound like if Dan Shulman's not on because yeah. he's done those um, at ESPN, right? So he's still used to it. So yesterday, at least, it wasn't that bad. Like I could, I could figure out what was going on. He, we, I knew where the runners were, you know, or what the count was, what was going on. Um, so. It wasn't that bad, uh, I. But again, I'd be curious how it will sound uh, if Shulman's not available. Um, I will be very. I really, really, really hope this is a one-year deal for Rogers. Gotta be. Have to just from as a cost-cutting measure because of COVID. Although I think they're doing well financially, but anyways, that's the point. Um, you would think a company like Rogers that sells internet and technology and would actually be doing better at a time like this when we're all at home. But regardless of that, um, I really hope it's a one-time thing. And I will also be very, I'm not going to criticize them if it doesn't work well on radio, because it's just not 
a good setup for Buck and Dan. That said, Buck. <laughs> I mean, okay, Buck and Dave Bruce is hitting yesterday, and he's like, "Well, it sounds as if Jay Bruce is uh, has been around forever, but he's only thirty three. <laughs> That's old for a baseball. What?" <laughs> <laughs> It's um, it's just Buck, man. It's, that's Buck being Buck. Uh, what? Oh, he says and made another comment about how um, who was it that attempted to steal? And Gritchick attempted to steal a base. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Out, and he's saying on the air. Well, I think Charlie Montoyo and the Jays will be more aggressive on the base pass because <laughs> they have a deeper lineup. So if a guy gets thrown out, it's not a big deal because the next guy will just hit a double and they'll get a guy back on base. I'm thinking, Buck. When you have a good offensive team, you tend to run less because you don't need to run. And it's not worth the risk of losing a base runner when you have a very deep lineup. So that that that's that brings up one question I have for you guys. Mm-hmm. Now that you have this rule that if, uh, you know, with a tie game, you start with the runner on second and uh, extra innings. Mm-hmm. Do you think it makes more sense now that we know that Jays have brought in the best team up well not up north they've kept them uh, south down south but uh, they haven't worried about you know maintaining flexibility or you know trying to get an extra year out of guys they've brought what they felt was the best team available do you really think it makes sense to cut cords with Gretchik and keep Jonathan Davis knowing the value of having a speedy runner for those extra games because teams go go through like 15 20 extra inning games in a season i don't know i haven't seen the numbers but then they're not few and far between i mean quite a few in theory yes i mean practically speaking there's going to be injuries uh you may need to have games where i i do suspect that we're going to have to have games where somebody like a springer has to dh if he does continue to deal with an injury. So practically speaking, like if you're just trying to win one game in the moment, and I, then yeah. But if like, let's say you're in a wild card game and you really, Gritchick just doesn't match up well against the starter or that team, then you could say, you know what? Gritchick won't be in. We're just going to go with speed or something like, but long-term, I mean, I, I just think that from a, and I'm not a big Gritchick fan, but I think from a depth perspective, there's still a need for him. That's a fair point. And also Teos, and also because I actually believe that Rowdy is going to be the one that gets sent down. I don't see the fit for him. If Vlad is your first base DH type guy, Teoscar, you'd probably want him DHing a lot. I don't see the value in carrying a utility first baseman. That hurts me. I, I love Rowdy. I want to. I want to see him in there. I love seeing him play. I want to see as many DH at bats for Alejandro Kirk. Oh man, yeah, yeah. that's hard because you got to. Then you need a third catcher if you're going to pull that. It'll be interesting to see how how Kirk handles the staff, how he's improved defensively. Like I think the word is, I don't, I haven't seen, I didn't notice that he lost weight, but apparently he lost some weight and he's moving better behind the plate. Um, I just want to see how he handles it defensively because I think that's that's going to be a big thing if he's your if he's your second catcher. Yeah. Or, I mean, another, if they want to keep Rowdy around, they could just go with one less. Uh, they could 
go with one less pitcher. Well, that's the one thing. I mean, that's the benefit of having Kirk is because he's not a dead weight on the team as a backup catcher. You can give yeah. him some active at-bats, uh, which gives you the flexibility to either have an extra uh, arm in the bullpen or you can carry around Jonathan Davis, I think. Because I think, especially at home in extra innings, he's probably one of your key guys. Because if, mm-hmm. if you put him on second, there's a good chance you can score. He's I the like the idea of a deep bench. Personally, I think, I mean, you have a 26-man roster now, 14 pitchers currently. Mm-hmm. I like a balance. I like having guys on the bench that could do specific things. Jonathan Davis will never be an everyday player, but I think he can be a very valuable fourth, fifth outfielder, defensive replacement, pinch runner. And that's a very valuable tool to have. It might be harder for them to do earlier in the year while they have a lighter rotation, like a, not a great rotation. But let's say, you know, hey, we they make an acquisition at the deadline for a starter. Now you could say, well, we're going to get a couple extra innings out of our starters. We can carry a better bench. But, yeah, a lot of decisions to be made there. I'm not as big on Rowdy as a lot of other people are, to be honest. Uh, even Kirk, great story. But, I mean, he has – we can't just say he's the man now moving forward. We need to well, wait. He is the man, man. What are you talking hey. about? <laughs> I'm just going to be honest here. The reason I like both of them is because of the body type. I, I it, it gives me hope that I can I can excel at an elite level as an athlete. Uh, so that that's why I like both of them. <laughs> but, but not not to continue. So the last thing I just want to cover because we, we've we've gone a little bit long. We haven't talked the Raptors in a long time. Um, so I just want to I want to you know just a couple of minutes on the Raptors just to get thoughts on you know the Gary Trent Jr. trade. Uh, what you think about the season, which has just been a dumpster fire since uh, since before the All Star break? Um, Primate thoughts on on uh, Norm being shipped off and Matt Thomas and Terrence Davis and what we got back for them? Or uh, you yeah. happy? Yeah, so interesting. Uh, Matt Thomas, no issue. I think that it was worth a flyer signing him, making less than a mil a year, elite elite shooter. If you could develop his game. I don't, it didn't pan out. I don't think he has the body, the athleticism. And I know, like, I mean, I know, like, like Nurse and Masai, they're, they don't want to have a bad defender anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of makes sense. I, I think from the perspective of a playoff in the playoffs, teams target bad defenders like clockwork. So unless that guy is an elite scorer or an elite player on offense, you don't want to carry that. So I can understand that. Um, Terrence Davis. I'm a little bit surprised I shouldn't be given what happened, uh, given the ongoing, yep, straw, uh, given the ongoing legal situation. Issues, yep. Uh, again, not up, up to us to say if he's innocent, guilty, or whatever, but something just never felt right. He wasn't playing much in the bubble, and when they went, which is interesting, Terrence Davis and Ronde, who were getting a lot of minutes before the suspension, didn't get a lot of bubble minutes. So, and now Ronde is out of the league. Yeah. So, I wonder what's going on there. It makes me wonder, like, what's going on there? Because Ronde was a very good player for them before the, like, he was a very good role player. Yep. Get his, like, garbage baskets, defend hard. He could be a small center if they needed to go small, very 
good diff. So he was very valuable for them. So that's very surprising. So to get their second rounders, I mean, the team has shown that they are good at finding great players late. So if you use them to pick, great. If you package them together to make another deal in the offseason, great. Always good to have those assets. Um, and also, I think that they were prepping for a potential Lowry deal where it could have been a three to one and they needed like a it. roster spot. So that's another factor. But um, it does give them some extra flexibility. Norm. I think I was telling you guys, part of me was thinking, well, isn't he the kind of guy you want to sign and then have those core four guys and get some other assets if you move Lowry and just wait for the next big star to become available in trade? Then you have those good players, may not be elite players, but very good players and can match the salary, throw in some young players or picks, get the deal done. But then the more I thought about it was, if Norm gets 20, then you got... 80 million locked up in those in four guys who are very, very good players, but it are, are those the four you want 80 million locked up in and then constricting your ability to do anything else? No. So it makes sense to deal him given the, given what he was going to be paid and the team. I, it's clear that he's not as good a defender as the other three. And again, the team's philosophy is that if you don't defend, you don't play. So that said, none of them, nobody's really defending this year, but regardless of that, uh, in terms of what's, I mean, I think COVID really screwed them up as like fitness, like fitness levels. I mean, you heard about Pascal losing all that weight uh, during the lockdown. So while he was in quarantine, he says he lost about 15 pounds. And that's not like 15 pounds of Vlad Guerrero weight. That's 15 pounds of strength that he lost. An interesting stat, I think I sent this to you guys on the WhatsApp group yesterday. In terms of speed per game, Pascal pre-COVID, 4.22 miles uh, per hour. Post-COVID, 4.04. Fred, 4.25. Post-COVID, 4.19. OG 4.14, post-COVID 4.04. So, and that matters. Like, that's just that extra second when you're rotating out to cover a guy on defense. Just that extra, a great shooter, all they need is that extra one or half second to get that shot off. So I think that, I don't know from a fitness standpoint with with the COVID and the lack of practices, it's just been a shit show. So... To tie this all together, get the pick uh, in the offseason. Um, you're not in bad shape. The Lowry situation will sort itself out, and you have flexibility. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. Like, if you're going to miss the playoffs, miss the playoffs in a year that you're not in your own city and you're not going to have your own your crowd there anyway. Yeah, and I, the downside, I know I heard uh, Eric Kareen and uh, Blake Murphy on their podcast, The Raptors Reasonableists, they were talking about how like it, it makes sense in one way, but at the same time, like as Raptors fans, all we have right now, like it, for a lot of people, is is watching sports on TV, and it kind of just it sucks that you're you're seeing them like it. It just looks it looks like a completely different team. Um, I don't. I don't hate the trades. I, you know, my reaction to the norm deal when it happened was, is Gary Trent Jr. really the best we can get? I can see why that 
why that trade makes sense. I don't mind the Rodney Hood piece in there either because, you know, as a bench piece, he can play a little bit, bit of defense as long as he stays healthy. Um, it's just I've seen a lot of Gary Trent. Um, sure, he can hit some hit some shots, but we're already a very three-point centric team. And having him instead of Norm makes us even more three-point centric. So I, I'm not crazy about it, but I just – this season's done, man. Like, yeah. Just go out in a blaze of glory. Forget this season. Forget this ever happened. Forget we were ever in Tampa. Azam, you okay with tanking the rest of the way? Yeah, might as well. You're not winning a playoff. (laughs) I like, like, yeah, and you know what? Trent is so, people forget he's young. He's 22. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's the big thing. Yeah, exactly. uh, He can defend. He's a, and he's young enough that he can develop. So, I know people are saying, well, why didn't they get a young big? Well, first of all, young bigs are harder to come by. So if you have a really good young big, you're not trading him. As yeah. you can see on our team, that's a valuable commodity still. As much as people say, well, it's a smaller game now, you still need that at those bigs. You need, Number two you know, is... It's not just a young big. It's yeah. it's an athletic big. And the athleticism yeah. is the hard part to come by, right? Like yeah. people were saying uh, they should have made a move for John Collins. They should have made a move for Rishon Holmes. Like you, you, the deal has to make sense both ways. And you can't just say, go out and get this guy. Because if the other, like we saw with the Lowry deal, if if the other team doesn't want to budge, if Daryl Morey doesn't want to give you what you're trying to get, it doesn't matter what you think we can get. It, it just, and, and that that's what it came down to. And that's why I was ultimately okay with the norm deal. I think it's just, I hope that teams would value Norm a little bit more, um, and they, and they didn't. And if if what you get back is Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood, then then so be it. At least we got something for him. And the good thing is that with the great Gary Trent Jr. deal, like he's he's an RFA, uh, his cap hold is is far less than what um, what Norm's will be. So like it it, it works out money wise. But my my big concern is going to be next year. Get that draft pick. That's that's the first thing because I I think. You know, being in that top five, hopefully, will be huge for the Raptors. And the second thing is, you got to get somebody who's a creator because, you know, for the past three years, we still haven't had anybody who's a shot creator. Get somebody who can create their own offense, get to the rim. And, you know, that solves a big issue that you have right now with this team, which is super three-point centric. And, you know, I it, it works to a certain extent, but, you know, when when it dries up, it dries up and you're not you're not going to be able to get a win as yeah. they saw with against the Boston Celtics. I mean- Gary Trent wasn't brought in for this year. Uh, they are thinking no. long-term. So their thinking is that, well, yeah, obviously our flaws are our flaws. It's obvious. But we're not going to turn down talent because he doesn't quite meet the needs. You, you have to be more – you think that when, you, when you're a legit contender, then you got to think more positionally. But they're at a point now where just get your talent. You have an offseason coming up with flexibility in terms of cap roster spots like Rodney Hood is a non-guaranteed for next year there's a lot of non-guaranteed money that I think they will just unload off the books and they have all their first rounders this year's could be a very good pick so take the talent get your flexibility and get to work in the offseason exactly so I think that's a good spot to to end this off guys like it's been it's been far too long um uh, to our viewers and, and listeners, we're going to try to make sure we're a little bit more more regular with our content. But as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Make sure you subscribe, like, share everything. Like th- those likes on YouTube really help. So if, if like when you watch, if if you if you enjoyed this, if you've made it this far, um, make sure you like our stuff. But any any parting words, boys? It's an exciting season for the Blue Jays. Please.
Baseball will be born again for the Jays. It's been a few years since we've had a, I mean, last year was a very short year, but I think it's, it'll be an exciting team to watch. So jump on the bandwagon now. And let, let's get, let's get on this tank bandwagon. Hopefully the Raptors get themselves a good pick and next year's exactly. a better year. And we're watching them in Toronto. Could even be this year. The players are getting vaccinated, starting to get vaccinated late April. Atkins oh, announced that. Yeah, he announced that the vaccinations will begin. They can't do everybody at once because of side effects. So they're going to start to do dose one throughout, like while they are in Dunedin at the late April homestand. And then we'll see. So they could, I'm very optimistic, they could get back to Toronto maybe at, after the All-Star break. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a big proponent of vaccinating players in major sports early. I think having professional sports on during this time keeps a lot of us sane. And they, uh, there's not a whole lot to do. And they travel. They're around a lot of. No matter what restrictions exactly. you put, you travel. You're around a lot of people. Exactly. They are at risk. So, and they're at risk of getting it, and they're at risk of spreading it. Exactly. And, and regardless of how much their money they make, they're human beings. So. Mm-hmm. And yep. let's be real here. Without sports going on during the pandemic, this show wouldn't have happened. So thank you. So let, let, let's keep it going. Uh, everybody, again, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, guys.